Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, today's guest on our podcast is the distinguished medieval and Tudor historian, Derek Wilson. And his story, Web of Intrigue, is the cover story for the April edition of History Today. It looks at the troubled and rather peripatetic exile of Henry Tudor, long before he seized the crown at Bosworth in 1485 from Richard III. Um, Derek, hello, welcome. Hello there. Um, this exile yeah. is absolutely crucial to our understanding of Henry Tudor. And I yet, thought so, yes. And yet he was an extraordinarily unlikely king in many ways, because his claim was tenuous, to say the least. Absolutely right, yeah. Could you ex yep. tell us something about those early years, when he uh, was forced into exile, why he was forced into exile, and the kind of contacts he made when he went to Europe? Right. Well, he was um, uh, hurried into exile by his uncle, Jasper Tudor, as soon as Edward IV uh, grabbed the crown, and uh, was... Um, systematically trying to get rid of any, any conceivable Lancastrian climate, uh, claimants to the throne. So he, um, Jasper, took him off, uh, hopefully, to uh, a French court, um, where he expected to have uh, uh, some succour. But um, the gales in the channel forced them to land in Brittany, where he became the guest-stroke prisoner of uh, Duke Francis II of Brittany who was in conflict with Louis XI of France. And how was Henry Tudor regarded at that point by these major players in Brittany and France? Oh, I think he was a useful uh, pawn um, in their various schemings and negotiations. Uh, you've got a, a sort of three-way relationship between uh, Louis XI, King of France, Duke Francis of Brittany, and... Um, Edward IV in England, all of whom had an interest um, in Henry Tudor, and uh, at any particular time, um, Henry could be either given support and, and, and comfort and succor, or um, offered to either of the other contenders as a, as a, a pawn in their negotiations. And do you think Henry, at this point, 
had it in mind that one day he would take the crown of England? Uh, I think this must have always been in his mind, and certainly in, in the mind of Jasper and the um, Lancastrian hopefuls. But I imagine that um, for much of the time he was more concerned with his own survival. And how much threat was he under through this period? What were the great dangerous moments that Henry had to face? Well, there came a point where, um, uh, where, uh, where Duke Francis decided to, uh, that it was in his interest to cosy up to Edward IV and um, offered to, uh, to send him back to England, send Henry back to England. And um, uh, this he, uh, he did, or tried to do. Uh, they, 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 the party conveying him got as far as the coast. Uh, but then uh, Henry managed to give them the slip and um, went back to Nantes to, uh, to Duke Francis' uh, headquarters. And, uh, and the Duke, you know, full of contrition, uh, welcomed him back again. So, so that was all right. And then a little later on, or some years uh, later on, rather, when um, after um, Louis XI died, there was a constitutional crisis, and his young heir was left in the regency of, um, of uh, Anne and de Beaujeu. And um, in this situation, the possibility again cropped up of uh, using uh, Henry to... Um, help in the situation. So he was sent, he was again offered up as a, as a sacrifice, but at this time escaped to the court, to the French court, and was received the support of the Regency there. Now you say, Derek, that this period of exile, this long period of exile, exactly how long was it, by the way? 14 years. Um, that this was the breeding ground of what would become Tudor political and administrative reform mm. once he took the crown in 1485. Can you explain what you mean by that? Well, I think that um, Henry had ample opportunity to see how politics actually worked um, on the ground, and particularly to study the behaviour of Louis XI, who was a remarkable king, who really did re you know, re-establish royal power in France and brought most of the nobles to heal. And he did so not by fighting expensive wars, but by various um, means, particularly using money. And he, he was uh, <clears throat> known as um, Louis the Prudent. And uh, he could, how should I put this, he was very adept at bribing uh, people not to make, to make trouble and in using um, money rather than uh, war. So, for example, when Charles the Bold, when Charles the Bold, one of the leading nobles, rose up against him, he uh, Louis paid paid Swiss mercenaries to attack Charles's territory, and that's just keeping him out of the way. And so, the, and the, and the, so the the revolt came to nothing. Um, also, Louis looked for support. Not to the nobles, but for but to the mercantile and legal classes, he, um, he he granted charters to the towns. He encouraged trade. He used the uh, lawyers uh, in his own council, and all these things were things that um, Henry did when he came to power in in England. This very 
unstable and peripatetic period of exile uh, must have made Henry a very paranoid figure, I think. How does that manifest itself when he gets back to England? Yes, I think you're right there. He knew what he had here. He knew that uh, various forces were acting against him, that the Yorkists were, were not just going to roll over and lie down. They were, they were likely to be, uh, to be threats anywhere, so he was always on the lookout for difficulties. Um, he adopted the uh, one, one of the um, one of the traits of Louis of, of sending uh, his agents into the various parts of the realm. Um, to look into, for example, to look into family archives or local archives of, uh, to see what um, relationships the the, uh, the the nobles and their forefathers had had with the crown. So to see whether he there were there were um, things that he could catch them on, things that he could actually uh, issue fines for, in order to. Uh, heavily burdened the, 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 uh, the nobility with money problems so that they wouldn't rise up against him. Do you think we underrate him as a king? We've had a great deal of publicity of late, obviously of Richard III, the person whose crown he took, um, who gets all the publicity. And of course he had those great famous descendants, his son Henry VIII of course, and Elizabeth I among the most famous of all English monarchs. Do you think we underrate Henry? I'm sure we do. And why do you think that is? I think partly because of the larger than life figure that Henry VIII was and uh, the fact that Henry, that Henry VIII deliberately pushed his, his, the record of his father into the background. Um, you'll be familiar I'm sure with the the, the famous um, Westminster cartoon showing Henry VIII and his wife and his father and his mother all uh, gathered round a, a plinth of the Latin inscription on. If you, if you look at that picture, there is Henry VIII looking massive, and, and in fact, all our pictures of Henry VIII has really stemmed from this pose. Henry VII, by contrast, sort of cowering in the background, sort of clutching his cloak around him and looking a very diminutive figure. And the Latin inscription says, you know, says, and here you see two great kings. The question is, who is the greater? And he talks about uh, yes, Henry, Henry the Seventh um, uh, <clears throat> was uh, successful in battle and so on. But it was really Henry VIII was most important because he brought the church under control and so on and so forth. So and Henry VIII, throughout his life, was I think haunted by this this figure of his father, who was. A great king who was a great who was the last, I suppose, of the great um, English kings who actually uh, led his armies in battle. And do you think we've we've often seen 1485 traditionally as the end of the medieval period, the end of the Middle Ages, the beginning of early modern history? Um, mm. Do you think within Henry we see a combination of those two things that look back to the Middle Ages and yet define something that's modern? Is that fair? Um, was 1485 really a, a watershed? Well, I suppose that's the old undergraduate question, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, well, always in history we have, don't we, sort of turning points and continuity. 
and uh, and 1485 was a was a turning point, but it also was continuity. And I think you do have to look back into the uh, preceding uh, conflict between York and Lancaster and the ultimate triumph, an, an unlikely triumph, really, of Henry VII. You know, to, to evaluate, uh, some historians have, have said that um, that this this is a turning point because Henry and Louis and the King of Spain were the three great figures who now emerged as the, the, the new monarchy, and the, the powerful leaders of centralized states. Now, one can say this was because of the personality of these particular rulers, or you can say that, well, times were changing, feudalism was, uh, was wearing thin, wearing out, and uh, a centralized government would have come in anyway. But, you know, it, it, it's, um, um, a matter of uh, debate, but um, certainly Henry was Henry was a remarkable man, and and much of his achievement um, comes from his tutelage uh, in in Brittany and France in those strange fourteen years. Mm. And it was very much that personality that was imposed on England, I think, and you do get very much the sense of that when one studies Henry's reign. But, um, but I think the key is, I very much agree with you, Derek, that the key is in that tutelage, it is in that exile. Yeah. And our readers, History Today's readers, um, can follow that web of intrigue in the April edition. Um, so thank you, Derek. Thank you very much for that. Okay. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.